Hello and welcome back to our podcast. Today I want to do Psalm 22. Psalm 22 comes just before the beloved Psalm 23 that talks about God being our shepherd. But it also comes after Psalm 20 and Psalm 21, which are very triumphalistic, victorious psalms about how God will protect his anointed one, how God will protect the king, how God will always bring victory to the nation. But Psalm 22 then comes as an anomaly because it's a cry about forsakenness. While Psalm 20 and 21 talk about victory in God, and Psalm 23 talks about the calmness, the serenity, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Psalm 22 begins with a cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's a very important juxtaposition between victory and confidence and a sense, a real sense of abandonment. So let's look at this psalm together. It's got 31 verses, but I shall deal with all of them. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. Let us know how, Lord, how you took, how you look at suffering, how you look at defeat, how... How God that defeat does not have the last word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted, not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb, you made me trust in you, even in my father's mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. 
From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 22 seems far more real to us than Psalms 20 and 21 or even 23. Psalms 20 and 21 tells us and assures us of victory, victory against our enemies, victory in all that we do. Whether it is the nation of Israel or it is our personal lives, people who persecute us, who hurt us, who scheme against us or betray us. Psalm 21, 20 and 21 assure us of victory. Psalm 23 also assures us that we are not, we need not be anxious because God is with us all the time. He anoints our heads. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Wonderful Psalms. And yet Psalm 22 is so real to us because so often we discover that the righteous do, are not protected. The righteous do not live forever. We think of Ukraine and, and Russia. I've been praying so hard for Ukraine and yet discovering how many people have died discovering that those who gather to pray still get bombed on and killed discovering the ones who long to for the safety of their loved ones both the russians and the ukrainians discover hear bad news of how their loved ones have been killed where then is justice where then is the protection of god where then is the sense of safety and security if these things could happen to Christians in Ukraine and Russia. These things could happen to us as well, whether it is war or it is in our company, in our business, in our workplace. Where then is God? And so we echo with the cry of the psalmist, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. This psalm is so real to me and so real to us because that's how we often feel. We cry out by day and there's no answer. And we cry out by night and we don't rest because our hearts are not at peace. And for all that Psalm 23 says and for all that Psalms 20 and 21 say, I don't see victories all the time and I don't feel at peace all the time. So what's the problem? The psalmist comes up with two possibilities, obviously. The first is that God is God as strong. And the psalmist affirms that God is definitely so powerful. He says in verse 3, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, you are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust, they trusted and you delivered them. As the psalmist David looked back at the history of his nation, he saw he could recount every time the people prayed to God and cried to him, he delivered them. There was no exception. 
So God is not, God is not powerless. We often think of this as well. We think through our past, our lives, and we're encouraged to do that. To think back of all the miracles that have happened. We were ill and God delivered us. We were in trouble and God delivered us. God healed us. God gave us victory. We think of the many stories of others, the testimonies of others who prayed and were healed, who cried to the Lord and He delivered them, He gave them victory. So many testimonies. God is not powerless. But there is still that question, the nagging question, and what about me? Could it be then, as the psalmist then suggests, that it is his sin? He says in verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Could it be his sin? Could it be that the psalmist is really a worm and not a man? That he is so despicable that God would not even bother to look at him? Interestingly, this psalm, though full of despair and angst, is one of two Bible passages, the other being Isaiah 53, that is most fulfilled by the, by the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm is quoted often by the Gospel writers about how scripture and prophecy is fulfilled. And so this psalm is not just a cry for help, a cry of anguish because of abandonment, but it's powerful in that it foretells another one, another great sufferer, another, the God himself, who was abandoned. Let's look at a few of these references and before I give my conclusions. First reference to uh, that's that's made of this psalm is in the Gospel of Matthew chapter twenty six verse forty six twenty seven verse forty six, where Jesus cries out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you far from helping me?" And from the words of my rock, of my from my cries, Jesus Himself prayed that prayer, "Lama, Lama, Sabadani, why have you forsaken me?" Jesus obviously was quoting from Psalm 22. The second thought, the second reference is when Jesus talks about um, when Jesus, when the psalmist in verse, 20, verse 6 says, I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men. The worm in this passage is not just an ordinary worm. The word itself uh, is talking about a worm that is crushed. Um, it's called a tolath which is a worm that is crushed to produce a dye that is crimson or scarlet. It is a worm that is scarlet or produces scarlet colour. And then we think of what um, Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your, skins are red as, your sins are red as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Jesus was made sin. Jesus who was without sin was made sin for us. This psalm was also a prophecy, a statement of Jesus who was a worm, who became not just an ordinary worm, but a worm that produced, that was crushed and produced redness, crimson. Three, 
they laugh at me, they say he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, saying he delighted in him. This was exactly what the mockers in Matthew chapter 27 uh, at the crucifixion said. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. He places his trust in God. Let God deliver him. They mocked him the way Psalm 22 verse 7 and 8 have mocked the suffering the psalmist as well. And then we also look for look at um, verse 11 to 13. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help me. Wait, huh? 11 to 13. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. The bulls of Bashan are the most powerful of bulls. And it's known that the, Rush, the, the Roman army was very, very powerful. Like the bulls of Bashan, they had encircled Jesus. He was their prey. Psalmist also says in verse 15, My tongue cleaves to my jaws. My tongue, my mouth is dried up like a potch herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Remember when Jesus cried out, I thirst. I am thirsty. This passage again is fulfilled when Jesus cried out that way. And then in verse 16, Psalmist says, Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me, they pierce my hands and my feet. Indeed, this was another fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus's, Jesus was surrounded by enemies, by villains, liars. People who bore false witness against him, who then pierced his hands and his feet. Verse 18 says, They divide my clothes among them, cast lots for my garment. Once again, this was exactly what the soldiers did. They divided his clothes, and because his garment was one piece, they cast lots for it. All of these passages foretell the coming of the Messiah. So what is this correlation about? The reality is that when this psalm was written, God wanted the people to know right from the start and right through history to our time now that there is pain in the world. But God did not just deliver his people from pain, nor did God shut his eyes from the people in their pain. Rather, God came and tasted the pain of the people himself. In verse 24, Psalmist says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Our God isn't just one who takes away all our pain. There are reasons why he does not, because if he were to take kill all sinners, we will all be dead as well. That's not God's plan. On the other hand, it doesn't mean that God is wringing his hands and wondering what to do, or worse, abandoning us. 
The psalmist says that God does not hide his face from him who by his listen to his cry does not despise or scorn the suffering of the afflicted one. What it says is that God takes seriously, God honours the one who is suffering. God takes seriously the sufferings that each of us go through. Not only does he take seriously as in watching over us, he himself tasted it. He placed himself in the same situation that he might feel the pain that we feel. What a thought. That God doesn't just look at us pitifully and compassionately. But that every time you feel pain, every time your heart is wrenched, he shares that pain. He goes through the pain with us. He shares the shame. He shares the abandonment. And that's why this psalm is written. That Jesus placed himself in the psalmist's shoes and became that crying psalmist, the abandoned psalmist that he might share our pain. You know, it's such a wonderful thing to know that Jesus empathizes, not just empathizes, but he feels it, he goes through exactly the same thing that we go through. One of the tragedies of the church is that we have become such a moral church and we have filled so much in empathy. God is not so much moral as it is empathetic, that he feels for us. You know, we've become like people who judge others. When when we look at the poor, and I see that so often in churches, we look at the poor and we think, this poor man must be lazy. We look at a drug addict and we say, the drug addict has no self-discipline. We look at a prisoner and we say, this prisoner is either violent or dishonest, or he has no self-control either. We look at a person who is gay and we say, this person... It's just rebellious, or this person is immoral. We look at a poor a person who has just lost his job, and we say he must have been a lousy worker, he must have failed somewhere, or a more spiritual man might say he might have he must have displeased God in his dealings and therefore God has struck him. We judge so easily and so quickly. God does not. God places himself in the place of the suffering person. God feels that pain. God feels the pain of the poor. It's not about laziness. He feels the pain of what it feels like to live without money, without resources. God places himself in the place of the drug addict, the one who is troubled and weighed down by his, by his physiology, by his troubles, who turns to drugs as an opiate, something that will comfort him. God places himself in the lives of the gay, how they love and how they feel left out, uh, that what they're doing is disapproved by people. Have you ever felt that you love someone and it is illegitimate? God places himself that way and he feels their pain. God feels the shame and the disappointment of one who has just lost her job. doesn't judge them. He feels for each of us. So God does not despise or scorn the suffering of the afflicted one. He does not hide his face, but he places himself exactly the same place as those who suffer.
And so when we read this psalm again in its perspective, then we cry, we hear, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and find no rest. And this, these two verses, verse 1 and verse 2, are no longer the cries of an abandoned man, but the cries of God the Son himself who came to feel the pain of God's abandonment, who feel the pain of God's distance. And he says, I'm still with you. I feel it too. I understand how life could make you feel that way. I take that abandonment upon myself. When God, or when the psalmist says in verse 6, I'm a worm and not a man, what this truth tells us is that God took the crimsonness of our sin. He bore the crimson, the scarlet, the crimson of our sin and he washes it away. It takes away our sins. But in so doing, he endured the mockery, verse 7 and verse 8, he endured the mockery of the people. He who had no sin was made sin for us. The shame that was supposed to be ours, he took upon himself. He allowed people to laugh at him, to mock him, to deny that he is God. And now God took that himself. He had his hands and his feet pierced. And then in verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. What is so significant about this? Two things. First, that this is taking the last possessions of a poor man. Jesus had nothing else, nothing left. He had at least, if he had his clothes on, they could at least have buried him with his clothes. But the soldiers were so cruel, so vicious, that they even did not care that they stripped this man naked, took the last of his possessions through lots divided his clothes. The very last possession that he had, they took from him. But it's also about shame. To be naked before others is a shameful thing. I know because I've read stories of a person who was knocked down by a car and just before she died, she pulled her skirt to cover her legs just that she might die just that she might die in dignity. To be naked is to be shamed. I remember this one once I was ministering to an inmate who was about to be executed in a few days. And his wife had come to visit him and told him that his brother had been seen wearing his shirt. This inmate went berserk with anger, with anguish. And when he had calmed down, I asked him, why did were you so badly affected? by just your brother wearing your shirt. And he said, look, I am about to die. The shirt on my back, the shirts that I have are all that I have left. And could this man not even wait a few days for me to die before taking my shirt? Was he so cruel as to just take my shirt even before I'm dead, take the last of my possessions? It was something precious to him. And incidentally, Death row inmates are allowed to choose their clothes, the most dignified clothes that they want to be hanged in and subsequently buried in. 
because it covers their nakedness, it makes them feel that they are important. To strip a person of all his clothes or her clothes is to tell that person that she's worth nothing. Jesus took the shame. He allowed everything, he allowed himself to be completely emptied of all things. The Bible says that he emptied himself of everything. And that was what it was, that even his last possession was taken from him. But think of the love of Jesus. When we think, when I often say that God loved us more than he loved himself, and that's true, he emptied himself of everything for our sake. Can you think of what that means in his love for us? That he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, would he not also give you us all things through him? And that is true. That God would give us everything because we are more important. That he emptied himself and he suffered the shame of nakedness for our sakes. God displayed his love in this psalm, Psalm 22, that he felt the abandonment, he felt the pain, he felt the shame, he felt the mockery of people, all because of us. And therefore, it is such a beautiful thing when in verse 31, the psalmist says, They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to people yet unborn, he has done it. There's no other way, no other way to lift us up, no other way to give us hope in life. But that God would offer himself to go through all that was meant for us. And all that we suffer too, that he is with us. And there is a victory, there is redemption. Even if we were to not feel vindicated in our life on earth, promise is that God understands because he felt it and Jesus was raised and therefore we too will be vindicated in the last days. And we take heart with that. Let us pray. Father, we it's so hard to fathom your love for us because it goes beyond anything that we can imagine even in abandonment, even in humiliation, even in shame, you took it all in for us and with us. God, you are our friend, our forever friend. You suffer shame and pain together with us. Instead of judging us, instead of telling us where we have failed, you simply come alongside us. And you share all that we go through. But that's not the end because it shows that at the end of the day you have victory and even through our, through our suffering, we too will have victory. So God, we ask that you help us to know you better and better every day, to know the kind of God you are, the compassionate God who walks with us even through our sin and our sinfulness. Because you love us so much, you love us more than anything, even your own life. Let us know, help us to know this truth more and more, deeper and deeper, wider and wider. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well then, I hope that you have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you. Goodbye.